This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Tuesday, happy day after Memorial Day. Happy, happy, happy. We got a four-day work week, and we're looking forward to it. We have an awesome show planned for you today. Big round of applause. Shamika Michelle in studio with us today, and we'll be here for the next three days. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Uh, and so, Shamika, what did you do for Memorial Day weekend? Did you... Anything fun? Yes, we had our family reunion and we sang the song Family Reunion. I think it's by the OJs maybe. Yeah. And first of all, that was long and dull and boring. The entire song going through the talking part, which I had never noticed that he actually said exactly what we talk about though on the show. Oh, really? Yeah, that the father is the head of the family. Oh, they don't allow music like that no more. Yeah, they cut that off too. I had never heard that part on the radio, but he talks about the father being the, the head of the family and the woman standing next to the father and how the kids are under them. So that was my first time hearing the entire version, but the rest of in trouble here. Keep talking. Yeah, the rest of the family. um, It was just a really long, drawn-out song, but it was great to get together with my people. Oh yeah, I remember this. Yeah. So my cousin insisted that we sang this, but if you go all the way to the end. It's fearless. Like, that's exactly what we talk about. And it was my first time. I guess the radio probably cuts all that talking off. But that was my first time hearing. And Mm. I said, oh, looking at the lyrics because they had it in our program. Oh, he's right. That's what we talk about. We need to get back to this. Mm. We don't even make music like that anymore. I can't wait to when we get to a commercial break. Or when we, yeah, when we get to a break, I'm going to listen to the whole song again, just refresh my memory. But anyway, uh, Steve Kim is going to join us as well. Uh, we will start the show, as we always do, with a fire starter. Uh, so let's get this party rolling. A time comes when silence is betrayal. That time has come for us in relation to biological males competing in women's sports. That time has come for us in relation to male athletes avoiding the topic of biological males competing in women's sports. All right, I'm I'm obviously stealing from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s anti-Vietnam War speech. It applies to transgenderism too. It applies to America's assault on common sense. We live in a time in which the prevailing sentiment is that everything is for everybody. It's not true. You can't have it all. You shouldn't desire to have it all. The mindset is testament to greed's power to overtake a culture and man's willingness to submit to cowardice in pursuit of financial gain. 
On Saturday, USA Today published a column attacking ESPN broadcaster Samantha Ponder for a tweet that supported University of Kentucky swimmer Riley Gaines. Gaines has earned popularity speaking out against the trend of gender dysphoric biological males competing in girls' sports. She swam against William Leah Thomas in the NCAAs. Last week, via Twitter, Gaines shared a handful of messages she received from California parents and young girls upset that biological boys were competing against girls in the state's high school track meet. Ponder retweeted Gaines and added a comment. I barely said anything publicly about this issue and I've had so many people message me, stop me in the street to say that to say thank you and tell me stories about girls who are afraid to speak up for fear of lost employment being called hateful. It is not hateful to demand fairness in sports for girls. All right, this tweet sparked a nasty rebuke from Nancy Armour, a USA Today columnist. Uh, Nancy wrote, don't be fooled by the people who screech about fairness to cloak their bigotry towards transgender girls and women. The transgender girls and women who have the audacity to want to play sports in particular. This is and always was about hate, fear, and ignorance. <clears throat> According to Nancy Armour, Sam Ponder is a bigot now because she believes biological boys and girls should compete in separate sports. Armour berates Ponder for agreeing with a Megyn Kelly tweet that ridiculed a transgender woman going to see a gynecologist. Armour complained that Ponder's likes are a cesspool of transphobic tweets. In April, Ponder tweeted that she regrets not speaking out sooner in support of Riley Gaines. Where are the men at ESPN and throughout the sports world speaking out in support of Samantha Ponder and Sage Steele, another ESPN employee who has been vocal on the trans sports issue? Why are jocks, sports pundits, and men betraying Ponder, Steele, and Gaines? If Mina Kimes gets a mean tweet about her lack of qualifications to be considered an NFL insider, the white and black knights of ESPN rush to Twitter to protect their Asian queen. There's no rush to publicly rally around Ponder or Steele because there's no money or social media clout to be gained. You can't elevate your corporate equity index, pointing out the absurdity of men competing against women. Every male ex-jock at ESPN knows it's unfair for biological boys to compete against girls. They're experts on the topic. They know far more about competing in athletics than they do about law enforcement, the criminal justice system, and American history. They can't wait to hop on television to second-guess law enforcement. They can't wait to offer bold opinions about subjects they know very little about. But boys competing against girls? Hmm, silence. It's as fundamental a topic as there is in sports. It's the equivalent of debating Jordan versus LeBron or the NFL careers of Tim Tebow and Colin Kaepernick. Why is ESPN avoiding the subject? Because the executives running the network are petrified of the Alphabet Mafia and the on-air talent fears social media backlash. It's collective cowardice. Two women at ESPN, Ponder and Still, have more courage than Mike Greenberg, Stephen A. Smith, Ryan Clark, Dan Orlovsky, Jalen Rose, Max Kellerman, and all the other men combined. It's embarrassing. 
This is what happens when everyone is chasing the bag. It empowers social media to eliminate common sense. I have sympathy for men and women who believe they were born the wrong gender. But common sense makes it clear that not everything is for everybody. A boy who thinks he's a girl doesn't get to compete in girl sports. That's life. No different from how I've long thought I would look great in a size 32 skinny jeans. They're not for me, they don't fit. The solution to dysphoria is not pandering to someone else's delusion. It's helping them come to grips with reality. And the reality is, the silence of men on the issue of trans athletes speaks to our betrayal of women and God. That's my fire for today. Hats off to Samantha Ponder for joining the fight. There's other closeted believers over at ESPN. I'm glad Sam has come out of the closet. Maybe she'll inspire some of those men to do the same thing. Uh, they need to, all of them need to. We'll bring on uh, Steve Kim here in a minute and Shamika will have some thoughts on it as well. But before we do any of that, I wanna talk to you guys about my friends at Patriot Mobile. You guys were watching the show two, three months ago when I said I put my money where my mouth was and got a Patriot Mobile phone. I'm holding it here in my hand. I'm three months in. This thing is excellent. Anybody that's telling you, oh, you should be concerned, or, you know, why would you get a, a cell phone from a non-major provider, and blah, 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 blah. This Patriot Mobile phone hasn't given me one single problem. More than that, and better than that, this is helping me fight these big corporations that don't share my values and our values. Look, look, and we're gonna really get into this this week, all month, about this whole CEI, Corporate Equity Index. I referenced it today, but I've been reading up and watching a lot of videos and learning about how this Corporate Equity Index is slamming these leftist values and these LGBTQ and non-Christian values down the throats of all these major corporations. Not happening at Patriot Mobile. Patriot Mobile is America's only Christian conservative wireless provider offering dependable nationwide coverage on all three major networks so you get the best possible service in your area without the woke politics. When you switch to Patriot Mobile, you're sending a message that you support free speech, religious freedom, the sanctity of life, Second Amendment, and our military veterans and first responder heroes. Their 100% US-based customer service team makes switching easy. Keep your phone, keep your number too. Just go to patriotmobile.com Jason or call 878-PATRIOT. Get free activation today with the offer code Jason. Ask about their coverage guarantee while you're there. Get the same dependable service and take a stand for your values Make the switch today. PatriotMobile.com slash Jason or call 878-PATRIOT. Put my money where my mouth is. You need to do the same. It's a small thing we can do to fight this cultural war. All right, you can email me and us and tell me about your switch to Patriot Mobile. FearlessBlazeShow at gmail.com. Steve Kim, Green Cosell. It's my obligation, no hate, discrimination, raising up your hands for freedom. 
This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Alright, welcome back. Time for some Korean Cosell to help me unpack, help me and Shamika unpack my fire starter. Uh, Steve and Shamika, I'm going to start off with a softball. Easy. Why are the men at ESPN, why is ESPN avoiding a topic that is this easy, this relatable? You want to do a topic that moms and dads and grandparents and everybody on the planet can relate to. You don't have to know anything about sports to have an opinion about whether biological men should be competing against uh, girls in sports. And ESPN won't debate or touch this topic. Why, why are they avoiding it? You know, I would say just like a lot of the men, they're weak. You know, they're scared. This is the, the topic that you talk about when you want to get canceled, when you want people to come after you and have something to say. So I think a lot of them are focused on their jobs and their own personal job security opposed to what's right. You only have a few people actually willing or have the guts to speak out about what's right. And Thankfully, these women are, especially Riley Gaines. I mean, she understands what it's like to compete against a man. So I appreciate her for that. But a lot of them just won't speak out because they're weak. The same reason they won't stand up to their wives and their girlfriends. The same reason they bend over any other time. They're weak. Well, I think it's very simple. They're not allowed to. And most of these guys are very, very fearful that they have no other options. But I think this goes back in, into something much greater and deeper. Let, let's go back to who really owns ESPN. It is a subsidiary of Disney. Now, I saw something very interesting over the weekend uh, on Twitter where they showed a clip from Disneyland where there's some shop where little girls can get dresses made. And the greeter was this obvious male who had facial hair, dressed up in a dress, acting as a female, and he was the one kind of leading these girls and saying, oh, hi, how are you? Would you let, and I'm like, ah. So when you think about that larger agenda that exists, it's all a trickle-down effect. And, and I know this, maybe even greater than you, Jason, because you were at ESPN longer, you had bigger stature, but I was there much later into uh, this whole woke movement. I was there from 2018 to October 31st, 2020. I know this for a fact. When you tweet anything that is not part of the accepted messaging, which means anything to the right of center, anything like Thomas Sowell, anything that's not pro-BLM and now pro-trans, you are simply rebuked. I had it happen to me firsthand. I had to get the heck out of there. So the bottom line is a lot of these men are emasculated and they understand that is part of the deal. What do you think happens to Samantha Ponder? Do you think hmm. an exec gives her a phone call about supporting Riley Gaines? 
Samantha Ponder will now be one of the most polarizing figures at that company. I give her a lot of credit. It took a lot of ovaries for her to come out and just blurt that out. One of the most obvious things. And I actually think, you know, it's interesting, guys. And, and, and tell me if you disagree. She's very attractive. There's no doubt about it. I think the fact that she's incredibly attractive, very, very feminine, angered some certain people like that USA Today mm-hmm. columnist. And just to go to that, there's a reason why nobody trusts the mainstream media anymore. They are so divorced from reality. They are in on this. They, it's not just a taciturn endorsement. They are part of this now. They are part of that agenda. They're part of that movement. But as it relates to Miss Ponder, that's a very good question. Um, what I would like to know is, I believe she's raising a family. I, I'm assuming she has kids. Maybe this is her way of saying, you know what? I'm good. I'm done. It's time to raise my family. Or, again, because I don't know all the particulars, maybe she just says, you know what? It's time. I don't care. And I'm secure enough in my position. Those are the things I would like to know, and we'd have to ask her herself. I do feel confident she's a person of faith. I think she's talked about that in other interviews. Samika, I want to ask you this, and and, because, Steve, you kind of put it on the table. Do you think her attractiveness plays a part. Sage Steele, also attractive. Mm. Riley Gaines, also attractive. Yes. And it's, it's like, if you're an attractive woman and you don't have a over-the-top animus towards men, then you're perfectly comfortable with traditional gender roles. And if you're unattractive and <laughs> you know, you're not as comfortable and you want there to be right. this fluidity. Yes, I totally mm. agree with that. I, I laughed when Steve said it because that was one of the first things I did. I went to look up the person who wrote the USA Today article about her yeah. because I wanted to see what she looked like. And when I saw her, I thought, oh, yeah, she wants men to be a part of it because it allows her to fly under the radar. Like she doesn't or have look to look better. If she's competing yeah. with trans men, <laughs> right? better. Exactly. So it made perfect sense. It's always the ones that don't look like anything, that have no problem with men coming into their spaces because it allows them to be a little rough around the edges, a little less feminine, fit right in with the men. I mean, as soon as I read that, I pulled that, the picture up and it made perfect sense. It's mm. always that way. I'm gonna be, oh. I'm gonna be sympathetic. Hold, hold for one second, see. I'm gonna yeah. be sympathetic <laughs> towards, oh, I, I hate to, let, let's enter into the record that I'm unattractive. And so now we've said that, so now I can say <laughs> what I'm, I'm gonna be sympathetic towards unattractive women and, and say that uh, this visual era we've gone into with social media and Instagram in particular has, has changed the standards for beauty and for what men are interested in. It, I, I think before Instagram, before social media, before the internet, things were better for unattractive women than they are now. Now every guy feels like, seems like he wants a woman that's 118 to 130 pounds and looks like 
Jennifer Aniston or Halle Berry or whatever. And, and I, I, I think we've elevated the animosity of overweight or unattractive women be, because of this era we're living in when there's so much focus on physical beauty. You know, I think I always focused on phys physical beauty and I think men always desire that. To me, social media has made it where people that are not as cute get to be put up on this pedestal. Like we get to see uh, people with skin diseases, you know, now put out on, on uh, you talking about that underarm commercial? Uh, I just saw. <laughs> I didn't see so, that. One. Yeah, there's a woman. There's some kind of underarm where they show a woman that's got some kind of skin defects. All yeah. Yeah, we get to see that. We get to see them handicapped. We get to see them fat. Even when they changed the Victoria's Secret, you know, took away the angels. I was very upset about that because I'm like. That was something I aspired to look like. I don't want to look like these fat chicks that y'all are now pushing, you know, uh, for Calvin Klein and whatever. I don't want to look like, you know, my skin is falling off or I'm bald headed or my teeth hanging out my mouth. But that's now it's like, oh, we got to come up with a different standard of beauty now because we can see all of this stuff. Before, it was fine for, for men to, to fantasize about Halle Berry. Now you're, you're criticized if you fantasize about her. You gotta be fantasizing about the fat, ugly chick now. So I, I don't know if, if it, um, I, I don't know. I don't feel sorry for ugly women. I think everybody has to understand you may not be every man's cup of tea. Like, I don't think I'm ugly, but I'm not every man's cup of tea. I may be too thin, I may be too dark, you know, whatever. And you just have to accept that. People are having a hard time accepting reality. You said it in your monologue. Like, you know, you would wear a size 32. Like, I would love a rack like Jeff Bezos' uh, fiance, but I don't have it. And so every now and then, I'm checking to make sure my breasts haven't said, I'm tired, we don't want to sit up anymore, <laughs> because I don't have that. And people are having a hard time just accepting what's real. And so we're supposed to buy into the delusion. Steve? Uh, Shamika, I just want you to know, I unapologetically still am more attracted to Holly Berry than Lizzo, just, just, just for the record there. Uh, <laughs> but Shamika, I have to ask you this question. So it is true that women are more critical of each other than men. So that's absolutely true in your view? Yes, absolutely. And for women that say, you know, I just do this for myself, you really mm. don't. You do it because you want the other girl to know you're a little bit better than she is. You look a little bit better than she does. Because I do think men a lot of times don't notice some of the things that we notice. Like I mm. can notice even with myself like, oh, you know, you see my cellulite or something. The man's like, oh, I don't see that. Yes, you do, because I saw it on Tasha, and Tasha's cellulite look really bad. Like, we are very critical of each Ooh. other as women, a lot mm. more than men are. <laughs> mm. Good Steve, to know. <laughs> wh why aren't, and again, you've already answered, you, you think they're not allowed, but they're over not. Twitter, you're telling me Ryan Clark, Dan Orlovsky, they, they can't, tweet some sort of support here, here. for Samantha Ponder. They certainly do it anytime Mina Kimes 
uh, gets a mean tweet? Yeah, you know, there's a part of it where these guys just want to talk ball, like especially Dan O. Dan O just wants to talk X's and O's. He wants to talk about how to attack a cover two, what's a man beater and stuff like that, and I respect it. But here's the thing, and we, to talk about what you brought up, Jason, I believe that most modern journalists or pundits they do what I call gerrymandering their opinion. They don't say what they really feel for the most part because they want to be accepted by everybody. Uh, I will give you, myself, and Coach JB credit in a sense that when we tweet stuff out, we don't give a damn about who hates it. I mean, literally, these some of these guys are so cowardly and afraid and gutless that they can get a thousand retweets, a thousand likes, but if they just get five people to disagree and vehemently tweet at them in anger, it bothers them. And they're afraid of the heat. They're afraid of getting ratioed. And these guys intrinsically know, given where they work, who they work for, and the climate of that place, that that's a no-fly zone. And like I told you, a lot of these guys are afraid, in my view, of negative feedback. Even one scintilla of it. Here's what here's what they would say. Let's take Ryan Clark or uh, who, who, who's Jalen Rose loves to play the race card, and they get negative feedback for that. It, it's not massive, but there are people that sit on Twitter and on social media and attack them. When Jalen Rose says, hey, let's don't use Mount Rushmore anymore, he got attacked. He, he, in his mind, though, that's a positive attack. He's pissed off right. white racists. That's a good thing. Right. And, Jason, but again, there's the corporate approval. There's the approved messaging. So that goes right into what you said. You're absolutely right about that. They Here's the issue. If you stand up and make this bold proclamation – that men should only play against men and females should only play against females, you are going to raise the ire of the hyper-liberal woke contingency. That's who they're afraid of. Now, everybody else, Common Sense America, which I still think populates the silent majority of this great country, they don't care. They're looking to inflame them. So think about this. If you want to rise up the ladder at most corporate legacy media entities, if you consistently anger the people that you talked about, the supposed white, angry, racist mob, you move up the ladder. Now, if you are consistently angering the other side, you probably get taken off the air. So, again, these guys are playing a game and they're understanding what plays to my career and what plays to my supervisors, what's going to get me promoted and what will get me demoted. I want to move on to another topic that uh, I think everybody can relate to, <laughs> to some degree, although it's baffling to me. Scottie Pippen uh, continues uh, to attack Michael Jordan. Uh, Scottie Pippen has said, you know, Jordan's a horrible teammate. He was a terrible person to play with. It, it, it's all odd and baffling. I don't see a win here for Scottie Pippen. And so I want to walk us back to Scottie Pippen going into the Naismith Hall of Fame. 
and and what Scottie Pippen said about Michael Jordan when he was when Pippen was getting into the Hall of Fame and when Michael Jordan introduced him at that Hall of Fame speech. Let's start from that foundation. Let's play the clip. MJ, you have touched so many people's lives, but none lot like mine's. Thank you for being the best teammate. I will always cherish that experience, and I will cherish our relationship forever. Thank you. So that's him going into the Hall of Fame probably 10 years ago. Here's some of the more recent comments. Let's play them back to back. Uh, Here's some of the more recent comments from Scottie Pippen about Michael Jordan. You know, our men-field relationship has never been strong, you know. Um, I respect his coaching. Uh, He's great at what he do. But um, he's just a different kind of guy. And I just never uh, felt away from the game that uh, he was in my corner. Hey, speaking of other guys you played for, Scotty. Even even with the game, you know, I look back at my years playing with the Bulls and how things sort of ended up. Like, I just don't know if he was ever in my corner, you know. (laughs) And I say that to say him as well as Michael, just kind of how things were handled the last couple years going through their contract. Like, they want one more year and this and that, you know. And I'm just sitting over there like – I don't care how many years they give you. I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You know, so that was, you know, he just really turned sour to me his last couple of years of coaching. Not that that took anything away from me as a player or how I played the game or anything, but it was more, he became selfish. And when you're around selfish people, then things just it, it it really was the breakup of our team to be honest you know one selfish guy on the team another selfish guy coaching the team it's just it was time for a divorce when LeBron James leaves the game he will be the greatest statistical player to ever play the game look at my point this day probably 15 years later, because I said it when he was two, three years in the game, because he was filling up the stats every game. And so they made the comparison, who's greater, him or Michael? Like, LeBron will be the greatest statistical guy to ever play the game of basketball. And there's no comparison to him, none. So does that make him the greatest player to ever play the game? I'll leave that out for debating because I don't believe that there's a great player because our game is a team game and one player can't do it. Like, i seen Michael Jordan play before I came to play with the Bulls. You guys seen him play. He's a horrible player. He was horrible to play with. He was all one-on-one. He's shooting bad shots. And all of a sudden, we become a team and we start winning. Everybody forgot who he was. So we go from the Hall of Fame speech to hot shots at Mike. 
in virtually every interview. The, here's where I want to add some sympathy for Scottie Pippen. Scottie Pippen was married to a woman named Larza for more than 20 years. And now Michael Jordan's son is dating Scottie Pippen's ex-wife. I think they just got divorced in 2021. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I would feel some sort of way about my former teammate and good friend if his son started dating my ex-wife and perhaps was a reason why she is my ex-wife. I, 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 I don't blame Scotty for getting a little emotional and irrational and I know this criticism of Jordan started with the last dance, but you never know when the thing with Larza Pippen and Michael's son started, there, there may be some synergy there. Steve, your initial thoughts on what's going on with Scottie Pippen? Well, first of all, as they say, Larsa's for the streets. But anyway, look, here's the thing with Scottie. <laughs> He's a brilliant second banana. But I saw something on Twitter. And by the way, I believe everything that's on Twitter. Do you know his career scoring average is like 16.1? Let's not make him out to be Kobe to Shaq here. Okay, uh, he was a really good complimentary player, incredible wing defender, great finisher. And everyone brings up 1994, the one year, the first year of Michael Jordan's kind of, what do you call it, the break, where he, he was in uh, Memphis for the, uh, for the Birmingham Barons, right? And he led them to 55 wins. But the next year, they went right back to mediocrity without Michael Jordan. And the one thing that I'll always remember about Pip in that great season they had Game four, they need a last-second play, and the guy pouts because Phil Jackson said, we're going to use you as a decoy, we're going to give the guy to Ku coach, and he just pouted. That, that to me right there, was a big character defect. The other thing about Jordan, um, look, you know what I think of Jordan. When Jordan had great teammates, he was a really good ball distributor. And in fact, you go back to the first championship they won in 1991, the deciding game, Jordan did an unbelievable job of setting up packs and out on the wing, the drive and dish. And when he had teammates that were capable, Michael Jordan, like Kobe, they could actually distribute the ball and make guys better. It took Scottie Pippen about four years to become a reliable teammate. The guy was afraid of his own shadow, and he was certainly afraid of the Pistons, and there came a time he couldn't hit water if he fell out of a boat in Detroit. Let's be very honest. Michael had virtually no help until him, Scottie Pippen, and Horace Grant developed. They were important. I do not want to take away what they brought to the table because Michael would not have won it without him. But again, Scottie Pippen did not even average 20 points a game throughout his career. Let's not make it sound like he was something that he wasn't. And by the way, Scotty never led another team to anything really tangibly big. Maybe the, the Blazers that blew that big lead in Game 7 against the Lakers in 2000. Um, hell hath no fury like Pippen scorned. And I think you're absolutely right, Jason, the situation personally. But it all goes back to, like you said, when Michael said Scotty was being a little bit selfish in terms of his contract. But, Jason, let's add some context to that discussion. That bad contract that locked him in as being the 150th highest-paid player, guess who signed that contract, even though the Jerry Krause and Reinsdorf said, Scotty, this is not a good deal. Shorten up your deal. Oh, yeah. It was Scotty himself. 
He gave himself, and here's the other thing that I hated about him. The worst thing that used to be before this, they used to call him no tipping Pippin because he was terrible to waiters and waitresses. He would never tip. That's a character flaw. So he gets a bad contract, and every server now has to bear the brunt, and he has to become frugal. At their, that, that's terrible. Scotty, bad luck, brother. You are more petty than Tom and Richard. Sorry, I've lost all respect for you, sort of. Anyway, that's it. <laughs> He also never made an all-star team without Michael Jordan. Ooh, that, that, that's that's another damning statistic against him. Shamiga, are you like me? Do you cut him any slack? Jordan's son is dating Scottie Pippen's ex-wife. No, I don't cut him any slack because I am a Michael Jordan fan. I've known him since I was a little girl, and Scottie Pippen is a lion wonder. He is so jealous of Michael, it makes his ass itch. Like, to get up here and say all of these things, when I saw something where he actually compared him and LeBron, Michael and LeBron, and he said Michael was asked to score. If he was asked to be an all-around player, he could have done that as well, and that there was no question Michael is the greatest player of all times. So now for you to be a, a man scorned, you just look like a bitch because y'all are over. Let her move on. I tried to put myself in his shoes and I asked myself if one of my, maybe somebody that I was jealous of or an enemy's child started dating my ex-husband, great. I don't care. So no, I don't give him any sympathy. And I've been upset with him since the last dance when he complained that he wasn't in the documentary enough. Get your own documentary, Mac, tonight. I'm just sick of him whining like a little girl. Listen, I get the comparison of thinking, what if it was me? But Scottie Pippen is written about and talked about in the sports world constantly. And a locker room environment, you got a bunch of guys that love to talk trash. And Michael Jordan's son is tapping Ugh. your ex-wife. That, that's a lot to deal with in guy culture. Real, even though she's used up? Well, Like an old spare tire, like, you know. She got your four kids. But he didn't want her. <laughs> well, he probably didn't want her because maybe she had a wandering eye for Michael Jordan's Well, that's son. obvious. Uh, Jason, if, if she had a wandering eye like Cicero, yes, uh, all moons and the stars. But anyway, here's the thing about uh, Scottie Pippen. And again, I want to give him credit. He was one of the great complimentary players of all time. But I've seen lists where Scottie's made the all-NBA 50 team, the 75th anniversary team. Ask yourself this question, honestly. If Scottie Pippen was the true number one alpha on any team, does he make those lists? I don't think so. Certain guys are meant to be second bananas. As for Michael Jordan being a difficult, tough teammate to play for, I would argue that most guys at that level are. Last December, throughout this winter break, Jason, when we took our little uh, uh, vacation, I read the book by Sam Smith, Jordan Rules. I thought it was a brilliantly done book. I don't know what took me so long to read it. And they make no bones about it. It's no secret. Michael Jordan was a biting guy. He was hilarious. And if you really couldn't play, he would ride you like the bus. I mean, there's this one story where Stacy King, who just took so many of his jokes, was brought in a box into the locker room. And Michael goes, hey, Stacy, 
you got a jump shot in there and just like and he would just be consistent about it and there was another point where he didn't trust bill cartwright he thought bill cartwright was edward scissorhands he had bad hands he turned the ball over he couldn't finish at the hoop and i think it was tex winner was trying to counsel michael about come on you got to trust bill we got to dump the ball in and michael just blurts out tex that mother couldn't score if he was the only guy in the gym and there's like 50 <laughs> lines like that from jordan throughout the, that's just one year that's one year where they actually won the championship what do you think he was doing in 90 89 and 88 to these guys and then scotty needed to be toughened up because the one thing i do remember about scotty was in the three years that they lost to the Pistons, and the Pistons were a better team, and it is a team game. Jordan had some bad games, but he had to bear the load of that offense, and Scotty always shrunk from the moment until it was 1991. That's the reality. A lot of truth in that. I just, all the fish in the sea. And Michael Jordan's son has to go get Scotty's old fish. I, I just, I just, I'm with I just you. don't get it. Well, Scotty could go get new fish now. <laughs> yes. All the fish in the sea, go get you a, you know, tenderoni. Right. <laughs> I think he liked this particular style of fish. Oh, God. <laughs> he, he liked that catfish. I'll say, I'll say that. Oh, All right. Uh, <laughs> let, last night. Game seven was a disappointment between the Heat and the uh, Celtics. Uh, Jason Tatum gets hurt in the first 20 seconds. Plays through, but not the same player. And game was kind of a route and uninteresting. But it does lead to a question about uh, the NBA Finals. The Miami Heat, Denver Nuggets, Nikola Jokic, Jimmy Butler, big enough stars to carry and draw attention in these NBA finals? Uh, before I answer that, I just want to say one thing. Jalen Brown was so bad yesterday, I think the Boston fans want to protest him now. Gee, he, I, I, I would be very wary of paying that guy. But anyway, uh, back to uh, your show. I just got done with my show. Yeah, you're right. If you are Adam Silver, secretly in the back of your mind, you are going, uh-oh, we're in trouble. Because even though Miami has a championship pedigree, it's not Boston. It's just a little bit different. But, Jason, I'm going to admit something here. Someone that did not watch any NBA basketball with any type of regularity till about a month ago when you forced me to, and me being the great fearless teammate. See, this is what Scottie Pippen should be. I understand my role. See, I'm playing second banana. I subjugate and I sacrifice. See, Pip, take a lesson. The NBA playoffs. At gunpoint, yes, you do. At gun, yeah, okay. He's going to make me talk about it. At gunpoint, this man had me on the phone. He's like, get someone else. Get you an NBA expert. I'm, right. I'm not doing it. I'm, I'm like, not. okay. But you know what? But you know what? I wasn't yeah. like Scottie Pippen in game four. I said, all right, all right, give Ku Coach the ball. And by the way, Ku Coach made that shot. And Bill Cartwright was about to kill everybody while he was crying. But anyway. The NBA playoffs have actually been pretty interesting. Jason, I don't I disagree with you. I found game seven last night, even though it was a blowout, to be fascinating. And I'll tell you why. On Saturday night, when Miami blew that game, didn't you think the Heat were dead in the water and they had no shot of winning? And yeah. to see them actually show character 
and to reverse it and to say, you know what? No, no, we're not just going to lay down and play dead. I actually found that to be pretty enthralling. I stuck on saying, you know what? I said, Miami showed me something. Now, with that said, that Denver is a bad matchup for them. I think Jokic is going to have a monster series. And me and you, Jason, we're going to have weeks and weeks of Kendrick Perkin discussions, and it's going to be fun. Jokic, don't don't let us down. Don't let us down, big guy. We are de- fearless is depending on you. I if if Denver's gonna be so well rested and or sluggish, but I, I think well rested. Yeah. I, I can't see them not winning this series in five or six. Yes. However, having said that, I I, I like Bam. Uh, defending Nikola Jokic. I actually think if, if the Heat had wrapped this up in five or six games, uh, this would be a very interesting final series. I think Eric Spolstra is a heck of a coach. And, and you know, there is something about the Miami Heat and the way they develop players and the culture they have there that is completely different. You know, and maybe it's both of these teams because – uh, the Denver Nuggets are a developed team. They're not yes. somebody that traded for superstars. They developed these guys. And, yeah, the Heat traded for uh, Jimmy Butler, but they got a lot of players they developed. They they picked I think, four undrafted guys in their eight-man rotation. Th- this will be a fascinating series. I just don't know, are we going to be reading stories every other day about how they're breaking records for have ratings haven't been this low since 1988 <laughs> or, or how do you do you think the public is going to buy into this series um if denver wins the first two games if i'm adam silver i am swallowing my pride and i'm calling tim donahue say tim why not call eric sport. lewis or Call Eric, Eric Lewis. Lewis well, his the team's out. <laughs> Eric Lewis's team is out. He he doesn't care about it. He's like me now. He's like me for about eight months. He's like, I don't give a damn anymore. Look, Denver's fascinating to me because they're actually a fun style. And I, I enjoy a team that actually just attacks the basket a little bit. It's not just everything is a three-pointer. I mean, the Boston Brick Party yesterday was fascinating to watch. Jason, I didn't know this. I saw the box score. I think they were eight for 42 in three-point attempts. Eight for 42. There comes a point in time where if, if you're Missouli, you got to say, hey, guys, we can take a layup. We, we can take a 15-foot pull-up. And to see them just consistently shoot themselves out of the game, I actually felt like, wow, this is what analytics get you. Uh, analytics is great with AI, and I guess we're going to have that in 10 years, a bunch of robots playing, you know, no one misses a shot. But this is a game still played by human beings. and I So, Jason, if you look at Jokic, what is the one final piece that is not there on his trophy case? Because he's done a lot. He's going to do a lot. He's still in the thick of his career. It's a Larry O'Brien trophy and an MVP finals trophy. And if he has the series that everyone is expecting, there's going to be a host of NBA analysts and pundits and journalists that are going to be gnashing their teeth. And when we start getting into who was the player that is going to define this era post-LeBron, now that James is kind of now into the twilight of what's been a spectacular career, there's going to be a lot of gnashing of teeth from the NBA media. And I'm here for it. 
Wow, you, you've raised a heck of a question. Would it be Jokic? You think that's the guy that's going to define this era post-LeBron? Not Giannis? Not Giannis? Not, I don't, I'm trying to think of who other, John Moran has lit himself on fire. <laughs> uh, Zion Williamson has eaten himself out of the league. Mm. Uh, who are the other candidates? I mean, Jason, let's take a look at how a style ages. I talk about this in Give boxing a lot. Guys who rely on athleticism, quickness, and reflexes. Think of Roy Jones. They are spectacular in their prime. Maybe their peak is better because of what they can do athletically. But once you lose that, it is guys like Bernard Hopkins that have this sustained longevity. In my view, Giannis is spectacular. He's great. But ask yourself this. If he starts losing some of his elasticity and his twitch, does his game age as well as Jokic? I would say no. And it seems to me like Denver has a lot of good complementary parts that play well with them. This may not be the last NBA Finals we see Denver in. Here's the other candidate, now that I'm sitting here thinking about it, Luka Doncic. I mean, he's got to win. I think they got to get the right coach, and I think he's got to lose some weight, perhaps. But Luka would be the other candidate. that. (laughs) If What if, I mean, this is fascinating. What if the end of the LeBron era is the beginning of the white European era Uh and it's Jokic and Luka Doncic if they're the most, the two biggest draws in the NBA? And and even, I would put Giannis in that category, the Greek freak, he's a foreigner. And so what we're about to usher in is the foreign era of the NBA. And and, and, and I... Wait a minute, Jason, did you hear that? That was Kendrick Perkins screaming. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, but Sid, this is fascinating. This is somewhat of what uh, David Stern's vision was to take this game international and make it global. But how will this league sell itself here in America? I went through this... Man, this is you giving me a lot to think about. I went through this with the Indy 500. I grew up in Indianapolis, Indiana, and the Indy 500 lost its relevance and traction in America because AJ Foyt and Johnny Rutherford and Thompson Neva and and Al Unser and Bobby Unser, they all got run out and the next thing you know, it was a bunch of people's names you, it was hard to pronounce. And, and everybody went over to NASCAR. And, and the Indy 500 was no longer as big a deal. I, I just, is America ready for a foreign star dominated NBA? Where's Joel Embiid from? He, is, he's not, isn't he from Cameroon or something? Or, or, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, wow. Mm. This is, man, this, anyway. Uh, you know, it may be time to bring Jeremy Lin back to the NBA, Steve. I know you'd be yeah, excited we had, about Yeah, we that. had a good 15 minutes. We had a good 15 minutes before Carmelo Anthony <laughs> just said, nope, that's over with. But like I said, long live Arvidas Sabonis. It all began with him, Arvidas Sabonis. <laughs> 
This is fa- I got to give this some more thought. We'll be back on this topic. That that that's interesting, Steve. Uh, finally, Steve, I know what you were most excited about this weekend. I know you loved the NBA playoffs and all that. Uh, but uh, your favorite new television show, Succession, came oh. to an end this weekend. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I thought the se- the series finale was solid. I did. I'm not going to put it in the great category. I thought it was solid. I thought the second-to-last episode, Logan's Funeral, I thought was trash. And so I don't think, I don't think this thing stuck the landing in any way. I think it's a very, it was a good, entertaining show, but it does not belong in the same conversation with The Wire, oh, The Sopranos. What? Oh, come on. It, it doesn't belong. You would don't put it in the same category as The Wire and The I'll, all right, go ahead. All right. Lower go ahead. or higher than Game of Thrones? I'd say on the same level as Game of oh, Thrones. Oh, come on. And, Game of Thrones had like three old, bad years the, in a the row. The first four or five seasons, the first four or five seasons of Game of Thrones blew succession away, but those last three seasons right. diminished, diminished Game of Thrones. But you, you would put this on the same level as The Sopranos and The Wire? Let me just say one thing. Boyce to Kim has to say, it's so hard to say goodbye to Logan Roy. Yes! I mean, look, I actually like the ending now that I think about it because it played out inconvenient, but it also tra- stayed true to what the storyline was about. A bunch of kids that are ill-equipped, that were very entitled, that are very, very flawed, and, it, and they would eat their own to gain that power, which is what Shiv did at the end. And Look, I don't expect every episode to be perfect, but I was, look, after the episode where Logan Roy passed away, it was a little shaky. But by the time the the kids started making their moves and we saw how flawed they were, what their weaknesses and strengths were from a personality standpoint, I, I found it pretty interesting. And about the funeral, I loved it when the two old guys were like, hey, uh, you like Logan, right? Uh, yeah, I guess I like. Did you like Logan? I thought it was so honest because the guy was kind of a grouchy old no. SOB. No. What? What? No. I thought that that's what I found so completely dishonest. Oh, come on. There's no way you work for somebody for 20, 30 years, make millions of dollars with that person, and get to his funeral, and you got nothing good to say? No, no. They, they were completely. Oh, yeah. By the way. When, when, when your boss, every other thing he says to you is F off, trust me, you're going to have conflicted feelings. I think they like the old guy. By the way, if there's a breakout star of that series, it has to be that actor, uh, Brian Cox. I saw something at the end of the third quarter of last night's game where Brian Cox was doing a direct TV commercial. And it wasn't Brian Cox being Brian Cox. It was basically Logan Roy for direct TV, <laughs> his mannerisms and I had never really heard of the guy, but he was a distinguished actor from England, had a really great career, and he found his signature role. Jason, okay, you can say all you want that this show is not on the Mount Rushmore, sorry, Jalen, of HBO shows, but Logan Roy is certainly on the Mount Rushmore of great HBO characters of all time. Agree or disagree? Totally agree. Totally agree with that. And and All right. totally All right. agree with that. Here's here's my problem though with the conclusion, which I I halfway liked, because Tom is the only guy on the show 
that I that I had any sympathy for and thought like actually a halfway decent dude that married into this nutty crazy family. But, but what what I what I leave four years later with Tom coming out on top. I don't feel like I know anything about Tom. I don't know anything about his upbringing. I don't. Th- they should have developed that character a bit more over the course of four years, so that the payoff of him winning would have been richer. And and there were some just some wasted episodes along the way that that could have made the story even better. Because I, I just I found Shiv so unlikable and so. But but I needed to understand a little bit more than what they gave us a little tiny bit that obviously Tom's power hungry and would do anything to move up the corporate ladder. But I, I would have needed a little bit more backstory on Tom. Well, that, Tom that, was a small town rube that saw life in the big city as a race to the top and attaching himself to power. And I love that last scene where Shiv made a decision like, oh, my God, I don't want to be a single mom. And Tom is now the guy. And I thought it was actually very poignant how he put his hand out and she put his hand on his, but they didn't necessarily clasp hands. And it was an admission that this is a relationship of convenience. I thought that was incredibly honest. I love that ending. I found that interesting. You didn't watch any of this, Shamika, did you? Nope. I was going to say, though, that I saw people comparing it to The Wire as well. Yeah. Oh, don't do that with Jason. Not, he takes that. Oh, my God. Yeah, You've done it with Jason now. Don't, don't do that. I, you, oh, don't, you don't Don't compare it to The Shield. Don't compare <laughs> it to Mad Men. D- don't, there's a oh, bunch, don't compare it to The Larry Sanders Show. Don't, 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 I, oh, I can go God. through a bunch of, oh, God. I don't no. think this is a top 10 show. I enjoyed you know, oh, what? it for the time. You know, it was it, too it, woke it, for me. When did it get woke? When did it get it woke? It was woke. The whole, the whole point oh, really? is it, that Logan Roy is evil and every, every guy that's made a dime or money is evil and we must save them. And then the whole little uh, Donald Trump character winning the presidency at the end. Why miss me with all that? Uh, well, I'm going to end it like this. In the immortal words of Logan Roy, off. That's what I think of your review of uh, <laughs> of that great show. Good grief. <laughs> off. <laughs> uh, thank you, Steve. Uh, great job. Uh, your perfect segue into, you know, I've known Steve Kim long before he was on this show. No different than how I've known the benefits of liver health formula long before they jumped on board as a sponsor. You guys know, and I've been talking about, I've been using this stuff for about 18 months. All on my own. It helps control, uh, helps uh, correct a fatty liver. Listen, we must start taking care of our liver now because the latest data from the American Heart Association indicates that adults with fatty liver were three and a half times more likely to have heart failure than those without. The American Liver Foundation says that 100 million Americans have fatty liver, which means that many people are at risk We throw everything in our livers, cholesterol, alcohol, toxins, Tylenol, statins, cigarettes. That's why so many of us have a sluggish fatty liver that makes us gain weight and lose energy. For decades now, your liver helped you with over 500 key functions every day. It's time for you to help your liver. There is a solution, liver health formula. 
an all-natural supplement which contains 12 clinically proven botanicals that help recharge and protect your liver, manufactured right here in the US of A and approved by the American doctors. So, you're looking to ignite your fat-burning metabolism, boost your energy, and transform how you look and feel? Try Liver Health Formula and receive a free bottle of blood sugar formula to reduce sugar cravings when you order today. Try Liver Health Formula by going to getliverhelp.com slash Jason, getliverhelp.com slash Jason, and claim your free bonus gift. That's getliverhelp.com slash Jason. Do it. If you're a fearless soldier trying to fight the battle of the bulge, it's helped me. It'll help you. I've been using the stuff for a long time. All right, go to youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock, hit notifications, hit subscribe. Give me that five-star review uh, on Apple. And uh, me and Shamika Michelle will be back and continue with a interesting conversation about pranksters and getting punk. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, welcome back. Shamika spent the Memorial Weekend at a family reunion. I went home as well. Uh, I like to go home, visit my mom, my auntie, some other family, and we love to play cards. I mean, we play bid whist. You know, you're, the game bid whist? No. Bid. <laughs> I finance it. You know, there's a big pile of money to be won if, if you're the winning team or whatever. But anyway, we, we mostly do it for the conversation. We had a very interesting conversation that relates to the topic we're going to get into here about these pranking videos. And, and it's a, it's, we weren't talking about this. We were talking about, I'm sitting with a bunch of 80-year-olds and older people. Hell, I'm older myself now. We're all reminiscing about how great our childhoods were. And so I, I'm listening to these old people, my mother, her sister, and and all that talk, oh, they were so, we had so much fun and this and that. And I'm thinking, they're in their 80s. Mm -hmm. and, and so one of the first thoughts that went through my mind is like, we sit around all day, or people sit around all day on social media complaining about what life was like 60, 70 years ago. And we're old reparations. They were mistreated. And the people that actually lived during that time are... They loved it. They did. And talk and miss it and wish that things like and they said, Oh, we was the first people in our family in our in our neighborhood to have a phone. And everybody came to our house to use the phone. And it was a party line and you'd pick up other people's phone calls and you'd listen, blah, blah, blah. And and we'd have rent parties and blah blah all this stuff. And it was great. And we were so safe. You could walk down the street at night and blah blah. I'm just this is all you hear from mm -hmm. them, is how great things were. And I started thinking about, like, okay, and then I started thinking about my childhood and how great it was. And, and what has changed, the most dramatic change I think we've had is this social media deal, because 
my auntie started complaining about when she, her grandkids or whenever, whenever they get together, they go out to dinner and everybody's just staring down at their phone and they're not mm -hmm. engaging with each other. Right. It made me think that one of the biggest issues we have right now is that people aren't living their lives for the attention and the approval of the people who are actually in their lives. Right. When, when you, you know, you go back 60, 70 years ago, all you had was family to entertain you, entertain you. You spent all your time thinking about what's mom and daddy going to think? Mm -hmm. What's granddaddy going to think? Oh, boy, you don't want to miss. You don't want to piss off your grandmama. <laughs> now people sit around and obsess about what's social media. Am I going to get retweeted? Is this going to be light? Is this TikTok video going to go viral? And we're doing all these things for people we'll never meet or know. Right. And the approval and the attention of people will never meet and know. And, we, and then it's also shaping how we view the world. And how we view the world used to be on, okay, there's this, my family who I engage with the most, then I got friends who I engage with, then I got some teachers and coaches that I engage with, and then I got my church family who I engage with, and now, it's, it's someone in another state, maybe in another country, or maybe it's just a bot mm -hmm. <laughs> that we're catering all of our behaviors towards their approval and their attention, and we're wondering why we're at each other's throats and why we have such a negative view of the world. Because it's like when I go home and get into that little bubble of family and just talking to family or whatever, I'm like, oh, man, this feels good. This feels mm -hmm. normal. Right. This... This is what life, I'm surrounded by people that love me, I love them, and man, you, you leave out of there and you're feeling good, and then you step back into this matrix that they built, the internet, and it, it looks like the wild, wild west and everybody's trying to kill each other. Yeah, for sure. I sat with my grandmother's siblings this weekend and listening to my aunt, who is 87, just talk about how for her entire, you know, life or childhood, she thought they were rich. You know, it, there wasn't this message of oppression or that they were beat down and that everyone was so racist. She actually talked about how good her childhood was. And as I looked at like pictures that were on the wall and I saw how well dressed they were and how they carried themselves with class, I can see why, you know, like people such as us which say, what would my grandmother think? What would my mom think? Because they carried themselves in a way that you wanted to impress them because they were impressive. You know, and I look even just at the kids today, they don't care what their parents think. You're absolutely right. It's all about social media. And of course, people being on their phones constantly. My friend, my kids have asked me, mom, how did y'all entertain each other? Because we did, you know, we didn't get together and, and get on out. We didn't have phones back then. And so now me and my classmates, we get together a lot. We don't have our phones out because that's not what we're used to. We get together and we talk and we laugh and we crack jokes and we talk about old times and we enjoy each other. Now people can be right in the same room and we'll text 
opposed to talking, you know, or upstairs, mom, can you take my drink out the freezer or something? You know, it's like kids just want to text now. And so they claim that they've made communication easier, but we definitely communicate less. There's no substance there. There's no real connection because everything is about the phone. And I was telling you earlier before we went on air how it was just nice to watch like my my oldest uncle dance around. He's 94 years old. I didn't post any of that stuff. We do have some video clips because, of course, we would like to share, you know, years from now. But it wasn't like he wasn't doing it for social media. It was for us as the family. And as we danced and we laughed and we talked, it was really just about us being in our little bubble and enjoying each other and being comfortable. You ain't got to be on because this is the people that know you, you know, and we, we, we are missing that now. I was, as you were talking, I was sitting there thinking about going over to my grandmother's uh, apartment as a kid and how much entertainment we would get. And let's say we went over there once a month but virtually every time we would get out her photo album mm -hmm. and spend an hour just <laughs> clicking through photos we've seen before and having conversations about, and so that was Auntie Ev, what was she, blah, 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 and <laughs> conversations and all that. And it's like, we don't, we think like Facebook is superior, mm -hmm. but it, it's not mm -mm. because, you know, people are taking pictures of every meal they eat. Oh God, They yes. post it on Instagram. <laughs> and it's all inconsequential things. But, but mostly what I, I think the internet has done, again, is it's, it's disconnected us mm -hmm. from the relationships that God actually wants us to have. He, he wants a parent's voice to be the loudest and most powerful voice a child hears. The internet has made celebrities right. the most powerful and uh, influential voice a child hears. And, and, and that celebrity doesn't care about your kids, will never meet your kids, and all these other influencers. And so this is all a long segue into, we were talking this morning about these viral prank videos that are, are going on. And, and, and I'm just like, why would kids do this? Why, why would they? run around and, and prank people over TikTok and all that. But again, they're constantly doing things for the attention of people who don't care about them. They're not doing, they're not doing these prank videos to show their mom and dad or their brother and sister. It's to get attention and go viral. And so I, I, we were gonna, I wanted to play some of these. Uh, this is, I think, the first one's a video of some guy prank robbing someone and he gets exactly what he deserves for doing this. Get your money! Jesus! Get off me! Jesus! It's a prank! It's a prank! It's a prank! Oh! It's a prank! Show me those! Yeah. Is it he on and off? Is it bad, bro? It's just a little gap. You'll be alright. Just stitch it up if you want. Stitch it up if you want. I probably won't need to stitch it. It's a prank. It's a prank. It's a prank. Guys out.
doing viral videos, pranking people, pretending to rob them. I'm glad someone punched him and put a hole in his nose. That, that, that's what he needed. Yeah, he goes, is it bad, bro? Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's pretty bad. Here's a guy that was running around pretending like he was pouring gasoline on people's cars and he was gonna light it on fire. Come on, man. Burning your car down, bro. Your car, man. Over. All of this. Yeah. Uh-huh. Why you wanna do it? Come on, man. Come on, man. Or you're one dead son of a bitch. You stay out of this. Yeah, I don't think you want to do that. It's 2020. I don't want to do that. You almost died, you stupid son of a bitch. Guy pull, comes out, pulls his gun on the guy. I don't blame him. I mean, th this is lunacy that this internet has us out doing for attention. I think there's a guy in. Maybe it's, this isn't America, maybe it's Australia. There's some guy that's walking, prank walking into people's homes and having conversations with them. Let's play that. This random house is at school. James? Come to the front door right now, please. James? James? Hi. You man come? Hello James. We need to speak to James. James? Huh. Hi. Oh. Yeah, James. Is this no, where the study group is? Study no. group? No. What the number is this? No. Um, study group? Come on. Come on. Come on. Well, this is not where the study yeah, group is. Right? Oh, you got kids? Oh, yeah, sorry. Oh, I thought this was the study group. I actually thought. Yeah, and this is the study group. This guy gets, and I don't know what country he's in, but that happens in America and the guy gets shot and the next thing you know, oh, it's racism. Exactly. It, it's, but this is where I, I just go to this whole internet, social media, has everybody acting out for the attention of people they don't know, will never meet, and shouldn't be concerned with I don't, I don't know if we're ever going to recover from this era and what it's, it's done to young people's minds and our ability to even engage with each other honestly. Right. Because that, that's the other thing I've been talking about for years is that social media has turned everybody into a performer. Mm -hmm. And it's a stage. And so people lean into dishonesty and they start saying things that will sound good on Twitter or on social media that don't really reflect their true feelings. Right, I was looking at this and I was thinking a couple things. One, pranks have really evolved because I remember me and my friends as young girls, we would pull out the white pages and we may would call somebody in there and say, hey, 
<clears throat> Mr. You know, Johnson, is your refrigerator running? And when he say yes, oh, you better go catch it. Or, you know, a little bit more evil maybe was when we saw a married couple and we would say, hey, uh, Gladys, this is Barbara. Uh, tell your husband the baby needs some pampers. You know, we would do that at sleepovers, but we were never making people feel like their lives were in danger. And yes, they are doing it for clicks. I think the, the camera phone was the worst thing to happen to people. You look at kids now when they have fights. Back in the day, if you thought you were losing the fight or, you know, maybe you would surrender and walk away and... It is what it is. Now kids know that they have the camera on them, so they won't walk away from a disagreement. They're gonna go above and beyond just in case it goes viral. They don't wanna look embarrassed, so they'll go through with things that they may not have gone through with just for the likes, like you said. And I think the camera phone has been terrible for society, but especially for these teenagers who can't uh, decide quite yet between right and wrong and all they think about is my my ego or my popularity could be ruined from this. And so I've seen kids that I know are not fighters. I just saw a young lady who I was, uh, I grew up with her dad. She's not a fighter, but she had all of the cameras on her and approach the teacher to fight the teacher. This is something that I think normally kids wouldn't do, and I certainly would not have done it growing up, but now kids feel this pressure to perform for the cameras. It's so dangerous, too, when so many kids are wired to think that disrespect is, is the worst thing that could happen. It's, you're not going to disrespect me, and I'm willing to fight over it. Mm -hmm. and, and anything can be seen as disrespect. And you're right. You've just given me a different way to look. Because I've seen a lot of videos of incidents in schools where I've seen you know kids punch teachers over their mm -hmm. cell phones and things like that. And, and you're right. If there was no camera, if they didn't think they were being recorded, I think they would not do a lot of the silliness and stupidity that, that they're doing. Obviously, a lot of that, because you would think a camera would provoke you into more responsible behavior in terms of like, I'm being videoed. I'm not going to do something that makes me look irrelevant. But, but people exist in a world where, again, the audience, world star hip hop mm. is their audience. Yeah. And world star hip hop loves stupidity and violence and just random acts of chaos. I don't know, it's, it's, it's really sad. It gave me, it, I've thought about this quite a bit. Uh, again, over the weekend, just talking with older people in my family and us just sitting around reminiscing about how great things were but before all of this technology and before. Again, because kids don't even know how to entertain or engage with each other in an entertaining way. And, and it's why I love going home and playing cards and talking. People have been doing that for probably 300 years or right. longer. Who knows? <laughs>
Right, and we can just sit around and talk about anything or nothing, and it's very entertaining. We didn't do that this go-round at our family reunion, and my kids were disappointed. So they said, so we're not going to go to the hotel and sit out in the lobby and talk because they look forward to that. That's not something that they do with their kids, but everybody was tired, and we had a birthday. They were going to the casino, so... We, we don't do that anymore, but I love those opportunities. And I like people who have no phone environments. There are a couple of parties that I've been to in my city where they don't allow you to bring your phone out. Uh, for one, it makes you engaged, but number two, so people can be relaxed without feeling like everything I do is going to be recorded and put on the internet. Like, we're so busy behind the camera that we don't really enjoy the moment. So it's like the memory is gone because it wasn't there to start with. I'm wondering if like restaurants, if there's not some restaurant that should start a, a trip. And did I, did I just go to House of Cards here in Nashville and I think they said you couldn't bring out your phone? I think that was one of the stipulations. Don't bring out your phone because people don't want to be photographed or, and they said no pictures. But I wonder if restaurants should maybe start with, yep, this is a no phone environment because I, get, I, th I see those videos of people out in restaurants and some random woman will come up. This happens like down in Florida, these vacation places. And someone will come up and they'll start twerking inside oh, the yes. restaurant. Mm -hmm. and, and it's like, if there's no camera, I don't think they would do it. Yeah, I don't either. Because it's not for the people around. It's for social media land. Yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, that's it. And that's all for us today. We'll play some tomorrow. And we'll see you tomorrow. I just want, I wanna be, I just